Today's episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee, a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students at Boston's Northeastern University. Today, the company is on a mission to get people energized with tasty caffeinated snacks. Every Eat Your Coffee bar is caffeinated with fair trade coffee, comparable to one cup, and is made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. And as always, energize the moment with Eat Your Coffee. Today's episode is too and Power Trip of Wrestling is brought to you by the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame. Remember, the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame's mission is to educate, encourage, and motivate our communities to embrace the rich history of amateur and professional wrestling. They will accomplish their mission through online and in-person presentations as well as through recognitions of individuals' contributions to the sport of wrestling and the communities as a whole. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! trying to get back in. Buddy Lane, I don't know who he's counting on. Could be both men. They're going at this right outside the ring now. Now it's a battle. We see them play King of the Mountain. One man inside the ring. Larry VX makes it inside. Here comes Tonga. Ring the bell. Larry, referee Buddy Lane ruled King Tonga did not get back in at the count of ten. 
There it is exactly. Referee says King Tonga did not get back into the ring by the count of 10. He counted him out. Larry the Axe is the winner. Buddy Lane counted him out, but wait a minute. They're still going hammer and tong. Hitting puts Tonga out of the ring again. It's all over. King Tonga did not make the 10 count. Larry Hitting back in. Now watch the count. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to another great episode here of the two-man power trip of wrestling on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only J.P. John Paz. And today on the show, John had the opportunity to sit down and have a great conversation with the father of Mr. Perfect and the grandfather of Curtis Axel, the one and only Larry the Axe Hennig joins today's program. And Larry the Axe Hennig this weekend will be taking part in a Hall of Fame series as part of the Minnesota Wrestling's Hall of Fame event calendar, where Larry the Axe Hennig will be a special guest at the Wicked Wart Brewery at 4165 West Broadway Avenue in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, this Saturday, November 17th, from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. If you need more information, you can head on over to the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame website, which is Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame.com, and there you'll get all the information and see some of the other upcoming events that they've got on the schedule as the Axe is back, and a special brew made for Robbinsdale's favorite son is going to be brought to you there at the Wicked Wart Brewery tomorrow, Saturday, November 17th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. So if you're in the Robbinsdale, Minnesota area, I know we've got some fans up there. If you can get out there, go see the Axe and go check out some of the cool things that the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame have going on in the pipeline. They've got some other great events that they've had in the past couple of months where they really bring the absolute uh, amazing legacy of professional wrestling in the state of Minnesota to uh, the wrestling fans. And obviously we've talked about a lot of the AWA on this show as of late. And of course, Larry the Axe Hennig, just an absolute staple of the AWA going all the way back to the early days where he and Harley Race battled Vern Gagne. And Vern Gagne would go out and find uh, tag team partner after tag team partner to take out this dastardly duo of Harley Race and Larry Hennig. But it was something that was to be seen as the two of them together, if you could picture those two tough asses on the same side, Larry Hennig and Harley Race, that is an absolute uh, kind of, not a dream combination, but a nightmare combination, because who the hell wants to be looking at them across the ring? But when we think of Larry the Axe Hennig more for the modern fans, we do think about his son, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, and Kurt Hennig being one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time in the ring, uh, his look in the ring the way he carried himself as a, a top guy for so many years. Uh, Mr. Perfect is an absolutely irreplaceable part of the professional wrestling landscape. And we can go on and talk about Mr. Perfect for days because, like I said, more for the modern fan, we think about Mr. Perfect all the time. He was such a staple of the the meat of the WWF era and obviously into well into the late 90s in WCW where he was still just putting on great matches and in phenomenal shape. Uh, all the way through, unfortunately, his untimely passing in the early 2000s. But his legacy still continues on the WWE's main roster with Curtis Axel, a.k.a. Joe Hennig, and the uh, the Larry the Axe Hennig uh, namesake 
going all the way through to the current WWE roster as that Curtis Axel uh, surname being a tribute to both his father, Kurt Hennig, and obviously an Axel uh, to his grandfather, Larry the Axe Hennig. But when you think of Larry the Axe, you think of a mountain of a man. You think of Rowdy Roddy Piper's first match and seeing Larry Hennig across the ring and what he knew Larry Hennig was going to do to him. You just think about this hulking, hulking individual with that big, burly beard and knowing that once he put his arms around you, that you were basically going to have the life squeezed out of you uh, within seconds. But I kind of remember the first time I saw Larry Hennig as a wrestler. It was in the mid-'80s. And going back and seeing some of the AWA footage where he was kind of giving his son the rub and teaming with Kurt, taking on so many different opponents. I mean, whether it was the Road Warriors or whether it was Bockwinkle and Stevens, or even he had a match against Buddy Rose and Rip Oliver out in Portland when they debuted in the Portland Territory. So they had a quite extensive tag team run, which is really cool because obviously when you have that second generation superstar and you have somebody who's still able to wrestle, that first generation star, the father always helps that son get over. And it's kind of funny when you look at how the calendar shaped out because right around the same time in the WWF, we saw Bruno San Martino and David San Martino kind of doing the same thing. And it's almost, uh, that would be a cool little dream pairing right there. Bruno and David versus Larry and Kurt would be kind of, uh, that would be a dream match, I guess, if you could say we could go back and book in the uh, the olden days, if you will. But if you're can if you able to get out there into the Robbinsdale area out there in Minnesota, if you can go check out this event where Larry Hennig returns to the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame, and he comes to the Wicked Wart Brewery tomorrow, November 17th, you could come out and say hi to an absolute legend as well as enjoy a beer with Robbinsdale's favorite son and have one hell of a time. And we really thank the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame for being able to help coordinate this interview. And we always love bringing you somebody that you might not hear all the time. So this is, again, is another one where we just we like to tip our cap to the, the people who helped set this up. And uh, thank you very much for coordinating this interview. So as we wrap it up here, we want to remind everybody with a lot of big things going on in the TMPT universe, we've got a few events that are on the schedule for 2019. We've got the Markout at the Meadowlands Convention on April 7th, 2019 at the Meadowlands Hotel in New Jersey, right about 20 minutes away from where WrestleMania will be emanating later that day in New Jersey, uh, Stone's Throw, if you want to call it that, where we've got a great lineup of individuals coming your way. So far, sign we have the one and only good old JR, Jim Ross, Stan Hansen, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Danny Spivey, and Butch Reed on a incredible lineup where we're starting to also add vendor guests, including a reunion of the WWE's FBI, which is Palumbo, Stamboli, and Nunzio, as well as independent star, the Beer City Bruiser, the Bullet Clubs, Chase Owens, and the manager of the Four Horsemen, J.J. Dillon, so far signed to be in attendance for Markout at the Meadowlands on April 7th, 2019, in New Jersey at the Meadowlands Hotel. But not to be overshadowed, a few weeks down the road in Richmond, Virginia, we return to the Holiday Inn as we bring you TMPT Con 3, but this time featuring the one and only Jim Cornette, and the entire theme will be rolled out very soon in the coming weeks. And if you can stay tuned to our Facebook page, you'll get all the information about both events, including the links to the event page on Facebook, as well as the Markout at the Meadowlands website, where the ticket information is located. So a lot going on in the TMPT universe. 
A lot more to come. We got a big closeout to the year. We got some really cool interviews as well as the Triple Threat podcast content headed your way. So stay tuned. And we also want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Eat Your Coffee. And you can energize the moment with each bite of your Eat Your Coffee bar, which, of course, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. These things are the real deal. And it is like having one cup of coffee in every single bite that you have of that Eat Your Coffee bar. So with all that being said, why don't we do this? Let's get it on over to the interview with John and Larry Henning and get this show on the road with some two-man power trip of wrestling business. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTofWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former AWA Midwest Tag Team Champion, a former AWA World Tag Team Champions four times over, an AWA World Tag Team Championship Tournament winner, as well as a member of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is the father of Mr. Perfect and the grandfather of Curtis Axel. He is the one and only Larry the Axe Kenning. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line right now is a true legend in the wrestling business, a former NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champion, of course, a former four-time AWA World Tag Team Champion. He is a member of the Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is Larry the Axe Hennig. Mr. Hennig, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, I want to thank you for calling me, and I uh, appreciate any time that I can talk about wrestling. 
All right. Now, coming up November 17th, The Axe is back, part of the Hall of Fame beer series. A special brew is being made for Robin Sale, Minnesota's favorite son, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. at the Wicked Wart Brewery in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. What do you think about that? That's that's an interesting uh, thing going on as far as Minnesota Wrestling Hall of Fame, and you got your own beer. Well, you know, uh, it, it's really funny is that uh, I never expected it. It was like I got blindsided almost. Uh, uh, we had done a, another little thing in Robbinsdale there earlier this year, and, uh, you know, they had talked a little bit about it, but I wasn't quite sure what they were going to do. But I guess they made the decision that they thought that uh, uh, I was the guy that they wanted to do it with, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. You are a pretty big deal in Minnesota. That, that is for sure. Does it always feel good that not only do they recognize you, but, you know, they, they name something after you. They put something in your name, and they're really getting behind this thing. Yeah, I can tell you the origin of how this all originated. Uh, uh, when I wrestled uh, in in Minnesota, uh, I left and, and I went to New York. And I, uh, when I left, I was pretty boy. And when I, I was wrestling in the garden, and I hit a guy with my elbow, and the announcer said, God, he looked like he got hit with an axe. So... <laughs> that kind of started off the axe uh, situation. Well, anyway, when I got home, uh, uh, the, they had the water tower, uh, let's say, in uh, Robinsdale, and it was somebody had scrolled on there in big letters, the axe is back. And uh, then I come back about uh, 30 years later, and the axe is back. And the X is coming back in the form of uh, a beer. (laughs) That is great. And obviously, you know, you made your name for yourself in Minnesota, but you did mention wrestling for the then WWF for Vince McMahon Sr. in New York and being a part of MSG. What was that kind of experience like? Because it was a little bit different than wrestling for Vern in the AWA. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. The, the the one good thing about it, of course, in New York, people uh, have to understand that towns are all big towns. I mean, you know, you go to Boston and then Philadelphia and Washington and Virginia and uh, New Jersey, and you know, uh, you know, half the population of the United States is on the East Coast, there. and uh, so they draw the when they run a TV show or a TV program, it reaches, you know, uh, a lot of people. And when they reach a lot of people, of course, they have a lot of attendance. When they have a lot of attendance, uh, then they uh, have a lot of money or more money. And therefore, the payoffs are bigger and uh, the chance of making big money uh, is that way. And... Uh, Vince McMahon and his dad, uh, I had a meeting with them, and I had my first shot uh, when I went there in, in the garden, Madison Square Garden. And uh, anyway, it started off uh, a career. Whatever they told me, they did. So I was happy with that. And, of course, the king of that territory, if you will, the king of New York, the king of MSG, was Bruno Sammartino. 
and you did get to wrestle him for the world title. What was that experience like? Because that is a pretty big deal in the, in the grand scheme of professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. He had, uh, I, I think he had over 100 matches in Madison Square Garden. He's got some kind of a record there. Uh, there's a lot of Italian descent uh, uh, people who live in New York. They're Italian and uh, Syrian and whatever. But uh, he was he was uh, he he was uh, a, a man for the time, the right time. He was in the right place at the right time, and uh, he was big. Man, if you get a chance to wrestle him in the garden, not only means that it's, uh, it's going to be a tough match, but it also means that uh, the money is going to be a lot, you know, a lot better. Was it a lot of pressure going to New York and wrestling Bruno and, and dealing with Vince and, like you said, these bigger towns and this big atmosphere? Was it more pressure for you? Not really. I'm uh, I'm a hard guy to pressure. I, you know, <laughs> I'm very lucky that uh, because I know, uh, you know, I trained hard and uh, worked hard and I was a, started out as a state champion here in the state of Minnesota. Uh, so I had some good wrestling background. I just didn't fall in from the sky someplace. I had been wrestling uh, two or three years before I went there. So I was I was well aware that, you know, you gotta be on your best game. If you're going to the if you're going to the Big Apple, you gotta be able to handle it. And uh, I did that and I was happy about it. Uh, I brought my family out there, and uh, in fact, I brought them to the garden. Uh, it was really great. So I thought for the kids, they were all young men, but uh, they really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I just liked the wrestle. You know, I think I was born to do that, and I did it. Now you mentioned obviously being a state champion and amateur wrestling. Is that where Vern saw you? Because you know he he you always get stories of him scouting all these amateur wrestlers, and he's you know he's got an eye for talent. And it always seemed like he was kind of on the cutting edge of being able to grab you know these big names and just kind of mold them from the amateur ranks and then into the pro ranks. Is that where he saw you? Yeah, Vern or, or Vince? No, Vern. Yeah, Vern Vern was okay, but it, see the problem is, is when you get somebody that. Uh, wrestles and then also is in the promotion. Sometimes it's a good mix, sometimes it's not a good mix. Mm. I I always believe that you gotta do one or the other. Because you always want to try to keep yourself up on on top, you know, if and if you're in the promotion end of it, uh, it made it a lot easier. Uh you're following what I'm saying here. I yes. Yeah. Uh, so and and Vern uh I uh, uh you know, to win, he liked the, nor- uh, the notoriety. Uh, it was a different situation in New York. Uh, Vince didn't wrestle. He just, uh, and his dad didn't wrestle, but they promoted. So they did what they did best. And uh, eventually, I, I think that's what cost Vern uh, uh, the EWA uh, went by the wayside, you know. And, uh, Vince came in and offered to buy him out, and then uh, Vern had a saying, you know, once you're poor, you're never rich. 
And uh, he said, that is not that funny. Well, a couple weeks later, uh, Vince had taken over the TV, uh, went to the TV stations and made their, made his own deals. And uh, so you know the rest of the story. Do you think that with the AWA, like you said, with Vern, do you think that a lot of guys backstage were kind of maybe like eye-rolling a little bit? Like we just talked to Campitera, and he's like, of course, when I came in, Vern was the world champion, you know, kind of saying it almost jokingly. Do you think that was an issue with a lot of the wrestlers? They they kind of thought that he shouldn't have been the, the champ when he was? No, I'm not saying that. Vern worked hard, trained hard. And and uh, don't get me wrong, was a good wrestler. Uh, but we're in a different time and a different age. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, he wanted it all, and uh, he really didn't know how to get there. He, he he didn't have a lot of good people underneath him. You know, if you look at Vince's operation, you know his production. Uh, his uh, video, his audio, uh, his preparation, uh, uh, everything was a different. Uh, if you look at the two tapes, put them side by side, you'll see what I mean. You know, from the uh, Calvin Beach Hotel to Madison Square Garden is a big jump. Very, very, very true. With in the AWA, when you got in, to wrestling. Was Vern your trainer? Did he kind of scoop you up and do yeah, all well, your actual training? Well, I actually started with a, with a guy named Joe Pazendak. People probably don't know that name, but uh, he was a, an old-timer at that time, but he was a good coach. I used to go down to the YMCA and, and uh, when I turned professional, and I'd wrestle there, and then I also trained with Vern for a while. But it it got to a point later on where Vern and I just didn't see eye to eye. We'd gone to the same high school. We were both state champions. And uh, it, it went back that far, you know. And, uh, and then he put himself in the, in the promotion seat. Uh, uh, so it, it made it tough, you know. And uh, he had to make some decisions, and some of them were good and some were bad. I, I'm not saying anything negative, you know. He 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 did what he thought he had to do. Uh, Vince is still in business. Let's put it that way. Figure mm-hmm. I get my grandson wrestles with him, uh, Curtis Axel, and uh, in fact he's in Europe right now, uh, and he's doing very well with him, uh, money wise, and uh, Vince likes him. You know, and when you got to have good people around you when you got a billion-dollar business. And now they're going into China and Japan, and they've been in Japan, but uh, Russia, uh, Italy, France, other, well, the whole Europe scheme there. And uh, they're all big promotions. You know, they work with their... they got their own satellite now that they work with, so... It covers that like a blanket, so it's like another old world over there. Uh, they got as many towns there now as they have in uh, in the United States. So it's big, 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 big business. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. 
to say the least, it's a global takeover. I mean, they were in Saudi Arabia, then they go to Australia. I mean, they're everywhere making a ton of money. Yeah, they had three... Uh, Joe, or I guess that's his name, uh, Curtis Axel, but they went to Australia, and they had three matches in one day. They wrestled, started out in uh, Sydney, had a wrestle at uh, around 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we got done with that, put them on a jet, flew to another town in Australia, wrestled there. 8 o'clock at night where they were in another town. They wrestled in three major towns in one day. <laughs> hmm. And then got on a plane and flew back uh, to the United States, you know, another halfway around the world deal, you know. Uh, you got to be tough. You got to, you know, if you got a family, which Joe has, uh, or his ex, so he's got three boys. And, uh, there's a lot of traveling, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of securities. Uh, uh, it's not easy, you know. you got to have a good life, a good family life. Uh, so it's not, an easy, it's not an easy way to make a living and try to keep your family together and keep your sanity. <laughs> it is definitely a crazy job when you think about the travel and and the work and everything involved with wrestling. And obviously, you know, Joe Hennig, uh, Curtis Axel is your grandson and and part of the B team, former tag champ, former Continental champ, doing a great job. He's been with the WB for a long time. Do you constantly watch and pay attention to WB or just kind of what he's up to? I I watch uh, uh, whenever I know. I know when he's going to be on the YouTube calls or, or I just put it on I, if I'm not here I tape it uh, I've got a, I've got all the stuff here and I watch them and I try to give them construction uh, uh, create I want them to be creative and uh, of course trained and, and, and do the things you have to do you know, like one week, uh, 40, 40 hours, they flew to Europe and then uh, China and then Australia and then back to New York on Monday Night Raw. You know, it's like 40 hours in the air, you know. Uh, it's uh, Wrestling is certainly the big part of it. Uh, people think you just come out of the, the backstage there, uh, uh, out of the locker room and you jump in the ring and that's all they do that week. But they probably came from, uh, uh, you know, uh, 15, 20,000 miles someplace. You know, it's crazy. Uh, and so you got to be tough. You got to be able to stand that pressure. You got to be able to travel. You got to be able to have a good relationship with your family. Uh, it's a bitch. No different than working at Minnesota Mining, you know. You got to, everybody wants your job. You miss a couple here and I miss a couple there. Uh, and then pretty soon you're not there. <laughs> so, you can't, you can't, when he's running a billion dollar business, you can't, uh, you can't afford to have people that are not going the mark. You understand? You, yes, absolutely. And I was going to say, what do you think about his name? For instance, you know, it's Curtis Axel, obviously, Kurt, his dad, Kurt Henning, your son, and yeah. then you with the Axel part. 
couldn't he have just been Joe Henning? Don't you think that would have kind of been better? Or do you think the Curtis Axel thing? Well, we know when he came there, they had McGillicuddy. They, Vince was, I don't know what he did. I think he was fishing around for something, waiting for a good wave to come in, something that would hook up. And I think they kind of settled on that after a while, Curtis Axel. And it's a feather in my hat because he's using Axel and he's, a feather in his dad's hat uh, that he used Curtis, so I'm I'm happy with that, and uh, I guess uh, that's the way it's going to be. You know, uh, things like that; those decisions are mostly made by Vince, and uh, he has a way of he has end up a lot of good ones, and he's had some bad ones, but. Uh, uh, your choices are very slim to, to make other changes. Uh, they have to go through him. So it's his business. <laughs> yep, that's true. Now, as far as Curtis Axel is concerned, obviously, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, if you will, one of the best wrestlers of all time. Do you think that him being a third-generation wrestler coming after you and coming after his father. Do you think that gave him an advantage? It kind of made him a little bit smoother, a little bit quicker in the ring than some other guys? Well, I think there were no surprises. Uh, I trained with Joe. Of course, I, I trained with Kurt, too. But, uh, you know, I made him aware of things. You know, uh, the, way it, the way it was, I took him with me, you know, on uh, wrestling intense and uh, uh, outside and traveling around uh, uh, everywhere. He went to Oregon. I followed him there, and we won the uh, title, uh, the Pacific title there. Uh, you know, you got to make a border. You know, if you're a high-wire guy, you know, you start out young, and they got to learn how to, how to work the, how to, <laughs> how to work the wire. And, uh, so there were no big surprises, and he ended up to be a good family man, and uh, he's got all his kids are doing very well, uh, registered nurses, and uh, uh, married. And we have we have twenty eight uh, grandkids, and oh my god, uh, two thirds of those are boys, and. Uh, so I, I'm a happy, my wife and I have been married uh, 63 years, and uh, uh, we have a lot of stuff, uh, we have a nice home, and we just enjoy our family. We go to, we got a lot of wrestling that we go to, volleyball, uh, some of them uh, uh, what this Dowlers over there this year? One of my granddaughters, another one, is going to what is the name of that college in Nebraska? Sadron College. Sadron College. You know where that is in Nebraska? That I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, it's it's in Nebraska. It's an 11 hour drive from here. I can tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they, they're they're all doing well, and they're all healthy kids. And uh, the new babies are. I did. I did a lot of work with camp confidence for the mentally, physically handicapped, and uh, you know you got to appreciate when uh, these kids are all got 
uh, are, are all good. You know what I mean? They haven't, we haven't got any problems that way. And uh, they're good, healthy people. And uh, we have a great family. So I, I don't know what else I could do, you know. Uh, and if it wouldn't have been for my wife uh, during those years, we had some tough times too. Don't let me get to you astray here, but uh, it's like any other family, but uh, we worked hard, and we kept the family together, and we're happy with that. Now, you know, you mentioned being a a tag champ with Kurt in the Pacific Northwest and Oregon for Don Owen. Was it special for you to be able to team with him, and even in the AWA when you guys were teaming? Was that kind of a special moment, a proud dad moment for sure? When When we were together in the AWA? Yeah, and even in um, Oregon, teaming together. Yeah, I know we had a great time together. We wrestled the Road Warriors, and uh, when they were giving us the instructions before the match, I said, "I told Animal, I said, you know, you got a big problem here tonight. I said, you can't beat me, and you can't catch him. <laughs> you know, I was born. I was more surface transportation." And, of course, Kurt could do it all. You know, one of the greatest mechanics in the ring. Uh, you could talk to anybody or any, uh, any great wrestler, and they'll, when good wrestlers and great wrestlers come, name come up, Kurt's name is absolutely in that Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars absolutely i mean one of the greatest workers like you said one of the greatest mechanics technicians workers whatever you want to call it one of the best what a great athlete like, what a great yeah, you know he, he was you know you know we, uh, we had five we had five children and you know uh kurt just seemed to be everything that he did uh, from the time he was like five or six years old, just came natural to him. Uh, Wade Boggs, uh, you know, he played for the Yankees. Oh, yeah. And he was a good, he did a lot of hunting and fishing with Wade Boggs. Well, anyway, uh, Wade Boggs told me the story about when they were in, uh, in New York and they were doing those uh, things about he would shoot the basketball, he would... Uh, uh, fire a puck into the net. Uh, he would bowl. He do he do all these things, and and uh, it just went boom, boom, boom. There were no, no no dull moments there. Well, anyway, in the baseball one, is that they said well they're going to have uh, 
we're going to go to the field there and we're going to uh, have Boggs hit a ball and the ball's going to go over the fence and when they flash back, Kurt will be there with the bat in his hand. Are you following this? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it looks like Kurt hit the home run. Okay. Or hit it over the fence. Well, uh, that's when he first met Wade Boggs. Uh, they threw him five pitches and he knocked three of them out, of, out over the fence. Kurt did. <laughs> and Wade Boggs turned to him and he said, where the hell did you come from? Oh, what, what, what is the deal? I spent a life trying to reach that fence. But because he was such a natural athlete uh, in anything that he did, and uh, it was just, it was it was absolutely amazing, you know. I don't care if it was darts or, or uh, uh, bowling. Uh, that's a me. I'm getting into bowling now. I used to play golf, but uh, you know the reason I got into bowling is I don't know. Well, the ball came back to me. <laughs> and I, you know, I still have my real estate license. I went. I was in school all uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I was in uh, uh, school for uh, real estate. I had to, you got to renew your license every year, and so I at eighty at eighty three. Um, Still cooking. I'm still in there. I was the oldest guy in class, and uh, I'll tell you when you get old. When you go around and you know, we stop and look at some property, a house, and the guy come out and he says, "They sell you something here, uh, Mister Henny. Would you like something with a ramp or without a ramp?" What the hell does that tell you? <laughs> that tells you you're getting old. Yep. Oh well. I did my time, and uh, I'm happy with that. I, there's not much you can do a lot of it. Uh, go day to day and uh, try to keep it in a reasonable shape. And you never know. There, these guys have been dropping off uh, awful quick. I spend a week. I go to a nursing home, then I go to a funeral, and it's it's a time in my life, you know, in my 80s. And so, just take it one day at a time. That's all you can do. Yep, definitely. You know, looking back uh, at your career, and, and like you say, you're a tough guy, you're the act, and it is funny that you wore that pretty boy gimmick before, you know, before kind of the, the beard came in and you were the tough guy. Is that a different, you know, kind of character to speak of, so to speak? Is that hard to play that different character? Or, or did, you know, you prefer being the act? Well, let me tell you, I, I I always did what I wanted to do. And the promotion would, could try to change me and say this or that. But every time I went into that ring, I wrestled hard. Uh, when, I was in, when I was voted into the Hall of Fame in Iowa at uh, uh, Lucas uh, uh, Professional Hall of Fame in, in Waterloo, uh, the guy coming told me the uh, me and my wife said, Larry, you just been voted into the Hall of Fame. That was my first Hall. Of, I've been four Hall of Fames now, by the way. And but this was my first one, and I, I got a tear in my eye because I know 
uh, you know, it's not easy to get there. And uh, I I was the type of guy that uh, always gave 100%. And whether the people liked me or if the people disliked me, I didn't make any difference. I did it my way. And that's the way it is. And uh, I think they like my style because uh, I, I, I'm not a backup wrestler. I'm always uh, I'm always on the offense, you know. Maybe I I didn't have all the stuff that Kurt had, but uh, I was tough and wrestled a long time, so I knew I I I knew the roadway, I knew the map, and I took advantage of that. So uh, the people I I get fan letters today. I just opened another. Uh, four of them a day. I get a couple a day, one a day, and uh, they say, "Oh, you were my favorite wrestler. You were tough. You did this. You did that." And uh, that's fine because uh, they realize now, and they realize down there a lot of them that that's who I am. I'm not. I'm, I don't pretend to be someone I'm not. So. It's the same in my real estate and auction business. There's no gray area. So it's either black or white. And that's the way it is. I feel like with you teaming with Harley Race for all those years, you guys seem like the perfect pair together. You guys seem like, you know, these two rough guys. Exactly. You see what you get, you get what you see kind of with you guys. We... uh, that was a complete surprise. I had uh, went down to the Calhoun Beach Hotel on a Saturday or Sunday. I forget what it was now. And uh, Harley had came up from uh, Kansas City, St. Louis area. And he came up to wrestle on TV, and I saw him there. And uh, uh, we started talking, and... Uh, I watched him wrestle on TV, and uh, he stuck around for a while. We had a couple put us in as a tag team someplace, and uh, from day one, we were the team. We had the same chemistry as Kurt and I. Uh, he could do a lot of things that that I couldn't do, but I could do a lot of things that he could do. And a good team is is that they both don't do the same things. You gotta have someone that does one way and another one another way. Always keep your opponents off balance. And we have that magic. And today we're still friends. I think he's still in a nursing home in uh around St. Louis, Kansas City area there. And uh we talk. We still talk, but uh things are when I get through talking I know that you know, there's he's there's a problem there right? So we just make the best of it, but we're still really good friends. We never had an argument. Uh, I love the guy. He uh, he told you something. He did it. Kept his word, and that was very important for me too. You're only as good as you were. So no gray area. I feel like with you and him, you, that you would be friends forever kind of thing. I mean, the, you guys, like you said, the chemistry and you guys meshing together just seems like the perfect pair of two legit kind of tough guys, you know, like his uh, backup 
what they're saying. Yeah, we had uh, we we had a we had a we went to Australia, Japan together, uh, Europe, uh, United States. We made a lot of trips. Uh, even after we lost the belt, uh, he was busy there for a while. You know, he had won the heavyweight championship, the uh, NWA. But after that, we made trips to a lot of places. And wherever we went, we had good houses. Uh, a lot of people came to They probably figured it would be the last time you'd see us together, I guess. But uh, we're still alive, and we're still kicking, and we're still talking, and we're still trying to make the best of what we get, what we got. So that's all we can do. And reliving some of those memories against the crusher and the bruiser, right? Oh, Stick yeah. the bruiser. Uh, we had some great matches in Chicago and the Ample Theater there uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, oh, all, all, wherever we went, we, uh, we had that because they had the belts before that. And wherever we went back and challenged uh uh, when they challenged us back for the belt, uh, it, it was a sellout. It was they were they were one of those teams that come along that uh, were kind of matched, you know. And uh, they did good interviews, and uh, you know, and the Bruiser, you know, he played pro ball and a lot of wrestling and tough side of uh, Milwaukee, uh, so. It was, uh, it's, it's a, that's what's a little different now. Some of these guys have to develop their own personality, and they don't. Uh, some of these uh, interviews and stuff, you know, they're too busy trying to get some other things in there. But, like, you take the Mad Dog, Deshaun, and uh, uh, the Crusher, for instance, and just take those two. And people, those, those, they had personalities, uh, uh, ring personalities, uh, microphone personalities, video personalities. Uh, they were characters, you know. And the claw, uh, there was, a, you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And I think that has changed a little bit. Uh, but like I say, there's, uh, is it's, it's so big now that uh, uh, no, no one can stop uh, Vince now. He's, uh, do you know the houses are all sold out? You know, you go there and they have uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 uh, thousand people there and uh, they run right next door to each other. They, uh, they wrestled in uh, yeah, in Chicago, Michigan. They had uh, four matches in that same area in two days, and they were sold out. I mean, it's crazy. Where do they do that? No one can do that, you know. So, whatever he's doing, he's got the promotion coming his way right now. As long as he keeps more wrestling in there, he changes it. He's always got new faces, and he keeps it alive, you know. So, can't knock that. 
other thing that I think, which is kind of funny when you think about it, I can't imagine a scriptwriter or somebody telling Dick the Bruiser or the Crusher, like, oh, here, you have to say this, this, and this, and, you know, and make sure uh, you say it like this. I just can't imagine someone giving them direction like that. Well, that's, that's exactly my point. They were who they were. They did what fit them, made them, because they were individuals. Uh, they had their own ideas. They had their own way of getting their messages across. You know, so, and the people love that. They still talk about it today. So, uh, I uh, I was in that class at, uh, uh, for, uh, there was 84 of us, I guess, uh, in that three-day class there. And there was, uh, and I did it up in the St. Cloud, Minnesota. And uh, there isn't anybody there that didn't know who I was. You know, they re- and, and I retired at 85. That's almost unheard of. You know what I'm saying? There was a whole generation there that uh, uh, they say, oh, God, my dad used to watch you. My grandfather used to watch you. Or, you know, my sister used to like Harley, and uh, blah, blah, on and on. But it, it's uh, invented uh, in their everyday life. When I get these fan letters, they talk about things like that. I enjoy, I enjoy the fan letters. And I enjoy the people that uh, uh, still remember, and I send them an autograph picture, send them something, and uh, so I guess in my you know in my later years, um, uh, things could have went a little different, but. When I look look back at the big picture, the uh, 28 grandkids, uh, my wife and I have been married over 63 years. Uh, we live in a nice house. We live on a lake. We have a boat. You know, uh, we we're living as good as we can, and we're still church-going people. And I believe that uh, God has been good to us. And uh, I don't know much how much longer it's going to be, but whatever it is, we've, we've certainly got it our way. And the act name, Larry, the act name, it still holds a lot of weight, especially in uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota. That, that's for sure. Well, it's always nice. Can you imagine going back there? Uh, and now they're going to name a beer after me. That uh, it seems like uh, it, it, somehow it that has caught on fire. Uh, Steve, the owner of the uh, of, of the brewery there, uh, he we had a long talk, and after we talked, he says, "You're the guy I want." I think this is, we got to, you know, some other people would like to be in that position. But, you know, I'll get out and I'll tell them the way it is. And that's what, that's what the people want. They want to, you know, they want to talk to you about wrestling. They want to talk about things that went on. There's an interest there, you know, and, uh, I just happened to be there that, uh, at a good time when, when their parents were watching. 
Now, as we start to wind it down and head towards the finish, just got to know because especially AWA had so many legendary matches and legendary feuds. And I mean, you were feuding with Andre the Giant before everybody knew who Andre the Giant really was, and you know Billy Robinson and and Dick Byer and, and and all these huge names, even Bobby Heenan and the Heenan family with Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. Do you have some favorite matches and some favorite opponents as you as you look back at your illustrious career? What was my uh, you you repeated out a little bit there? Uh, what was the last part of that? Uh, Do you have some favorite matches and some favorite opponents as you oh, look back? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's several. Uh, I I think some of the better matches I had uh, was with the Billy Robinson. Uh, you know, he was a, a good wrestler. He came from. Uh, wrestling stock from England. You know, his dad worked in the coal mine over there, and uh, uh, he came up the hard way. And uh, another one was Otto Wands. Uh He was from uh, uh, Austria. In fact, the wife and I, he passed away here uh, less than a year ago, but uh, we went and visited him. We took that Viking... Uh, Boat up the Rhine River and then went on the Euro car to uh, uh, Austria and then to Vienna and then to Rome. But anyway, we went and visited him 25 years later, and he he was still alive then. And it was like two people become very good friends. And uh, uh, of course, I had been with him on some tours to Japan and Australia also. But he was like a, not a he never did a lot of wrestling in the States, but uh, him and I become very good friends. And his son, is Mike, is a good, good friend of ours now, too. It's, still, it's like uh, sometimes you, you you live and you wrestle with these people, and sometimes you become good friends, and sometimes you, uh, you it's not that good. You know, there's always somebody with different thoughts about different things, but uh, we've been pretty lucky. The people that we have become friends with, we're still friends. Talking about 50 years later now, or more. So, what you know, what you know, what what can you do? You know, uh, you take it, take care of your own life. You go to church. You mind try to mind your own business. But uh, sometimes life I won't let you do that. A lot of tragedies. And, uh, but uh, I'm overwhelmed. And I appreciate that you uh, picked me to come and uh, talk to me about uh, wrestling and talk about uh, some of the names uh, from the past. Uh, so walked out memory lane for me. And I'm happy about it that you you still know and still remember. And there are a lot of people like that out there yet. And that I'm happy with that for sure. Absolutely. And let's not forget, Saturday, November 17th, the Axe is back, a part of the Hall of Fame Beer Series. A special brew is being made for Robinsdale's favorite son, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Wicked Wart Brewery in Robinsdale, Minnesota. Come out and meet Larry the Axe Hennig, one of the Biggest names in the wrestling business as far as that Midwest goes. I mean, that is that is for sure. Now, 
is there any other plugs or anything that you want to get out there and kind of, I know people give you fan letters and send you fan letters and stuff, but is there anything else out there? Do you do social media at all? Do you do any of that kind of stuff as far as getting your name out there? Oh, uh, well, uh, my name has been out there back already. <laughs> <laughs> and where, uh, in your station is what? Let's, let's, let me talk about that. Is this being played live now or is it going to be played later or what? Nope, record it. We record. You recorded it? Yep, we tape it. Yep. And then uh, where does your station go to? Uh, where? I mean, what is what is your area? Or... So we're based out of New Jersey, New York area, but we're everywhere. We're global. So wherever people can download podcasts uh, through the Internet or through their phones, they can get it anywhere. I mean, we, we get people that download us in Australia. We get people download us all around the globe, so uh, Minnesota for sure, so you will be heard everywhere. And so when when you play this, uh, uh, there will be a lot of people that will hear it, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Now, one final question I have for you, and it's almost like, what do you think, I know we kind of know the legacy of the act, but when people say that Henning name, when you think of Joe Henning, a.k.a. Curtis Axel, when they think of Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, arguably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, if not the greatest. And then they think of Larry the Axe. What do you think the legacy is people are going to think of when they think of that Henning name? Uh, I hope that they they think that we were good wrestlers, uh, that we were honest, uh, we uh, good family people, and uh, I guess the, the question is that you know you are what you are, and uh, we can live with our own uh, our own lives. Uh, and it hasn't been it hasn't been all easy, but we're surviving people. Uh, injuries, you know, uh, my knee, and I was out for almost three years. And then you have to come back for that. I had uh, cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. Uh, there's a lot of things that people don't know, you know. But uh, I'm still here. I'm still talking. And the guy caught me by surprise when he asked me if I needed a ramp or want to buy a house. I thought, well, maybe just starting the show, you know. <laughs> so, but anyway, I appreciate you uh, calling. And if there's anything I can do at a later time or sometime, uh, you give me a call. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been an honor. I appreciate all the time you gave me tonight. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.